welcome back to another of our Learn with Sue Walk and Talk podcasts. My name is Sue Langley and as you know this is the place where we will walk and talk about all things emotional intelligence, positive psychology and neuroscience and really about how do we be the best we can be. And once again I am joined by whether I do friend, colleague, or the usual frolic, uh, an interesting person that some of you may or may not have heard of. Uh, I'm being joined by the fabulous Toby Pierce to have a bit of a conversation about all things entrepreneurial, success, well-being, etc. So welcome, Toby. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Sue. Great to connect again. Really happy to be here. Wonderful. Well, I was going to say, as a bit of a preamble, obviously, you and I first met through a work context. Um, you were doing something pretty special. You invited me to be a part of it, and I was lucky enough to sort of work alongside you. And I'm going to get you to share a little bit of what you did and why you did it in a moment so that people can get to know who you are. But one of the things that I often say that you may not know, um, that I was always so impressed uh, when I worked with you, because from a leadership perspective, I could see that you thought really, really quickly. And you could see your thinking just progress, progress, progress. And it was one of the things I really admired about you. And sometimes I know the challenge you had was then translating it for other people because you'd already gone 20 steps ahead. But your ability to um, see things and progress things and move, um, you just used the word brute force when we were talking before, but there is a lot of intellect behind there that I've seen working. So yeah. for those who don't know you, would you like to uh, introduce people to people or yourself to people and tell them who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I'm Toby Pierce. Uh, I'm just turned 30 years old. I'm a, a dad to a beautiful three and a half year old girl called Anna. Um, I have been a a very passionate uh, business person, or kind of passionate about business in general. Yeah, probably since I was a early teenager. Uh, I think as far as I can remember. Um, at that point in time, I didn't really know that it was business that I was passionate about. It was just why stuff worked, you know, and how businesses worked and made money and got customers and, and that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, so the you know, if to, to summarize, probably the last ten sort of plus years of, of my life and my career, um, I was a, a terrible student. Um, basically, failed. I got, I got asked to leave one school. Um, I uh, uh, barely passed um, the last year of year twelve for, for the Australian listeners. I got a score, I think, of fifty four uh, out of a hundred uh, for year twelve. Um, I kind of fell my way into uh, personal training because I was. I managed to get myself into university to do a double degree in law and commerce um, and you know, wanted to find a job that was flexible to, to help me you know, while I was at university to, to generate income because I had left home very young um, when I was about 16 years old. And so uh, you know, was passionate about kind of business, really enjoyed health and fitness, got my personal training you know, qualification and then kind of fell into that industry and uh, I would love to say it was strategic. It definitely wasn't, but, you know, I managed to kind of get exposure to, well, what I'd say, you know, being a sole trader, you know, kind of being a personal trainer, you have this ultimate accountability, right? Like if you don't show up, you don't even have an opportunity to make money, but showing up doesn't mean you make money. You have to show up and then work and, you know, kind of problem solve to, to, to generate an income. And so, yeah, the skills around kind of sales and marketing and service delivery and, and finance and, and all that sort of stuff. You, um, I would not say it was sophisticated, but you know, that was sort of my first foray into, into doing that. And I, at a later point in time, you know, kind of recognized an opportunity to bring technology together, you know, with uh, the health and fitness world and was able to, you know, launch a, a couple of variations of an on online business, which ended up becoming an organization called Sweat with my partner at the time, Kayla. 
and um, we, uh, you know, were, you know, I, I kind of tell the story quite transparently. We worked really hard and we, we did a lot of, you know, probably good things commercially, but we we're also very much, you know, in a really great time and place for the industry and, and, and digital um, at that point in time. So, we had a excruciatingly painful and very rapid growth journey. Um, yeah, for the business. Yeah, we. Yeah, I mean, to, to put it into context for my life, you know, I went from you know generating a couple of hundred dollars a week in income after having left home, you know, to making ten million dollars a year in EBITDA or profit, you know, within sort of three or four years. Um, so it was a very kind of aggressive growth journey. You know, only a few years after that, we we got to about a hundred million dollars a year in revenue, and then subsequently sold the business shortly after, which was about. Um, probably about 12 or 18 months ago now. Um, so uh, without kind of going into too more detail, you know, that's the, that's the business journey of the career to date. There's a variety of other, you know, kind of interesting stuff along the side of that, but that's sort of the, the headline summary for, for now. Uh, it's brilliant, Toby. And I think that's what's uh, really interesting. So from our listeners' perspective, you may have heard of Toby or you certainly may have heard of Sweat. Um, because to your point, Toby, and again, one of the things I was really impressed by, I think when I first met you, there was like eight people in the business or something, um, mm. and the growth was huge. How did you handle that from not just a leadership perspective, but an overall well-being perspective? You used the word excruciating. So how did you handle it? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it I think if you, if you ask me the question at different points, my answer would be very different, you know, so because um, the, the, the we'll call it the insanity of the journey was not linear, right? You know, there's peaks and troughs are out based on what's, what's happening. Um, and I commonly um, like to refer to them as character building experiences. Right. So, you know, I think, um, I think at the time, you know, especially earlier on in the journey and earlier on would have been sort of, you know, 2015, 16, 17. Um, I would say like earlier on, I probably thought I was handling it. Okay but I probably really wasn't handling it okay. And I'd say that's really, you know, I was probably to a degree not not incredibly emotionally aware, um, you know, uh, I would say like unconsciously avoidant, you know, of certain kind of feelings and things that were happening. Um, uh, but definitely felt the discomfort, um, you know, there was just a lot of stress and pressure. Um, and I think to your point earlier, you know, I always, uh, one of my, one of my capabilities, and I didn't really know this until, to be honest, until very recently. Um, yeah, one of my abilities had always been to solve kind of highly complex multivariate problems many, many years in advance. That was a skill set that I always had that I didn't really understand. And so to your point earlier, one of my key frustrations that I struggled with a lot was I kind of knew the answers and I knew what had to happen next, but I didn't actually have the skill set to bring that to life yet. And so that was, you know, several years of very, you know, large discomfort there. But I think later on in the journey and, you know, kind of big thanks to, to you and your organization. And then, um, you yeah, know, someone who you referred me to, to, to work with later on, um, you know, Travis, I mean, I've, I feel like my life and my perspective and philosophy has kind of completely changed. And as a result of that, it makes kind of those sorts of challenges a lot easier and in reflection, a lot easier to understand as well, importantly. So. Yeah, and and just thinking about that, and you mentioned Toby. Obviously, you're 30. You've built a business that was 100 million plus. You sold it for lots yeah. of millions. Um, yeah. You've done very well, and lots of people want to be that entrepreneurial person. Lots of people have the dream of I'm going to be a billionaire or whatever it happens to be yeah. <laughs> in our lovely Western world that we have. Um, what's some of the biggest sort of learnings and, and advice you give to people now in your role mentoring many people in this space? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, 
the one of the cut through points, which I think is really interesting to talk with founders about, is you know this notion of like why are you actually doing this and what's driving you to do this, right? And you know, more often than not, people are really afraid to say I want to make money, right? Like they're they're really they find that to be almost socially unacceptable or inappropriate, right? Um, but more often than not, you know, at least in my, in my experience working with founders, not, not all of them, this is not the rule, but, you know, one kind of overarching principle is that like a huge amount of this is fear driven, right? You know, so people are either afraid they're not going to make money or they're afraid they won't be successful or they're afraid they won't kind of be achieve the, the uh, external value, uh, you know, that they, they perceive that they otherwise want to. Um, and a lot of people as well kind of fall into business, you know, they're super passionate about something or they stumble upon an opportunity. They didn't, they didn't go, all right, I'm going to perform a six-month analysis and I'm going to see where the business opportunities are going to go. Like that's like, that is massively the minority, right? Like almost all people kind of go, oh, well, I worked in this industry for ages and I sort of saw this incongruence between what I thought should happen versus what was happening. And so maybe I'll try to do something. Yeah. Well, that's like, that's a very common tale, right? And so they start doing that, but then there comes a point in time where they have to kind of give up certainty of a salary you know, um, for, for most people, again, not all, but they give up a certainty of salary, which means instantly they're like, oh, well, how do I survive? Some of them have kids and families, so they're really afraid they won't be able to provide. You know, so a lot of this is kind of really fear-driven, right? And so I always find it be interesting to understand, like, why are people actually doing this to begin with? And it's, it's, it's very often kind of fear of failure and also, you know, fear of not achieving the success, which I kind of segment a little bit, right? Like, I'm afraid I won't you know, achieve all this money versus I'm afraid it's all going to blow up a subtly different, you know, but very nuanced, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of interesting stuff there about how people get into it. And then ultimately what comes off the back of that, well, that's not really necessarily a useful way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like, you know, kind of, and, and I, I always refer to, or like to refer to this notion of like, it's not about things being right or wrong or good or bad. It's like, is this more or less useful for today? You know, like, Fear can be very useful to motivate people to do stuff, but can also be very motivating in the wrong direction, yeah, right? Absolutely. So good for motivation, but not objectively, you know, the right direction a lot of the time. Um, so then we kind of come back to, well, what skills and competencies do these founders need to build in order to get where they're going, right? So if we kind of put the emotions to the side and get kind of more objective around skills and capabilities, well, what do you need to get to, to get where you want to go, right? And that's normally, so there's this like, how do you navigate, understand and control your emotions? And then how do you, allocate and prioritize your time to make the decisions and build the skills and competencies that you need to become successful they're kind of these like two big buckets of work right um obviously i'm not a i'm not like a a psychology and neuroscience expert so i try hard not to advise too much on the uh, feeling (laughs) piece um i I try to you know refer that part on but around the whole skills and capabilities piece and you know like objectivity accountability decision making like i feel like that's more my my specialty area Mm. And it's interesting you say that because I agree, uh, many people who start their own businesses, um, potentially myself included, uh, initially, actually don't necessarily want a business, they just want to have the Mm. autonomy of working for themselves and making choices, etc, which I think is really important to be clear. Why are you going out on your own? Is it to build a business? Or is it to um, create your own job and create your own work and have choices? Um, From a, a business perspective, what have you found that having your own, running your own show and building the business, what did it give you? Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, every, everyone's different, right? You know, so the value that they're going to drive from it is different. So, uh, and again, you know, like a lot of these things, if you ask me what it gave me at the time, you know, versus what it's given me now in retrospect, again, my answer would be different. So at the time, 
you know, it gave me an opportunity to build financial success, right? Like, um, so, um, and that's a, an uncomfortable truth, you know, like that's an uncomfortable truth for me to say, you know, so like I, I had an experience, you know, as a, as a, a younger adult, you know, a teenager, um, you know, my, my model, you know, the model that was built for me about money as a child, you know, was that money was directly correlated with, you know, self-value and importance, right? And, and so I understand that a lot of people can understand even hearing that that's a very, um, or a, a potentially damaging mindset, right? And so, you know, I was very kind of motivated by, you know, the KPI of upward trajectory of revenue and EBITDA, right? Like that was the, the direction I was going. In. And so that was useful for a time. Yeah, and, and useful for a variety of things. Um, in retrospect, however, you know, I would suggest that business gave me this amazing and incredible opportunity to be in this, you know, laboratory-like environment where I can run a continuous set of um, experiments to learn and develop my own skill set. Um, obviously, I was fortunate that it was a profitable um, laboratory. <laughs> you know, like we were able <laughs> to have some success on the way through. A lot of people's experience is not that, at least the at least the first time. Um, yeah, so in retrospect, I think the big value for me was that that journey actually gave me an opportunity to build a huge skill set, you know, and a very diverse skill set that um, a lot of people don't get access to. You know? And so when I look at that now, yes, I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity to generate some financial wealth and build a, you know, a kind of you know, public professional brand that you know, has some, you know, uh, I guess, uh, you know, accolades you know, with it. Um, but really, you know, the money and the accolades are kind of redundant in the sense that the thing that will allow me to have an enjoyable and successful future career is actually the skill set, yeah. you know, because plenty of people make money and then lose it. Plenty of people win awards and then kind of do nothing, right? But people who build, you know, the skill set and discipline to, to do so, um, very often that doesn't disappear. You know, yeah. you know, wake up the next day and that just kind of magically disappears, right? Yeah. And I think to your point, what's really interesting is that that connection of money and self-worth, because, yes, there's nothing wrong with wanting to build financial security. But yes. if you're only attaching it to, well, I'll be a better person and better than everybody else and blah, 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 then it's not yeah. really you kind of get to the stage where actually that's it's not that it's to you yeah. as a person, how are you growing and developing? Um, what difference can you make now in the world that you couldn't before? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's very fragile. Those. It's very fragile, right? You know, because, um, you know, from a probabilistic sense, more organizations than not will fail. Yeah. Right. And so if that is true and you have your mental model around self-worth and, you know, the relationship it has or does not have with money is, you know, similar to what mine was when I was younger, mm. that's a very dangerous place to be because if you engage in anything and it is not successful financially, well, that's a, you know, you're in a very fragile position because you have a direct relationship between, you know, financial success and personal worth, right? And so, um, you know, for me, and we, we had a variety of experiences, you know, failed capital raises, uh, you know, years where we made financial losses, et cetera, et cetera. Like that was a mortifying experience for me. You know, like, oh my God, I'm a terrible leader. You know, like what happens if this all blows up? Who am I then? You know, because you don't realize a lot of the time your, your entire identity ends up becoming attached to, this journey that you're on. So if you remove your personal identity, as in, you know, I am a, you know, a middle-aged male, I have personal interests, you know, I was in a relationship at the time and I, you know, I had a daughter or was a father. If you remove that, it's like, well, from a career perspective, if this all goes to shit, who the hell are you? And that's a really dangerous place to be, especially if you attach your self-worth to, you know, kind of monetary value, right? Like it's incredibly fragile. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think for a lot of us, sometimes you think by putting yourself out there, everyone's going to want you. Um, I find that in the positive psychology space, people get a master's in positive psychology and decide, oh, I'm going to set up my own business and then don't get the work because you can't just put your business card out or put a website and go, woohoo, and it's going to work. There's a lot of other things that go into the behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just coming back to, you mentioned about, obviously, you've uh, grown and gained lots of skills. One of the things about having your own business, especially when you're first starting, is you do have to pretty much learn everything about everything. How did you find developing that knowledge and awareness in so many different areas? Yeah, so um, firstly, uh, with a huge degree of discomfort. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, I think in saying that, like, I think I have, I was in a position where I had a, a slightly unfair advantage relative to other founders that I meet. And that is that I am uh, a very, you know, kind of solutions focused individual. So like, I always want to get like, that's just my innate nature. I want to get to the you know, the outcome and, and the win. Uh, and also like I, I have a genuine passion for business. So I, you know, in, in sweat as an organization or the personal training or the boot camps or, you know, even anyone that I work with now, like I'm super curious about business in general. Right. And so that's an advantage because if I'm in a, if I'm in a position where I'm like, oh shit, like I really need to understand like what's financial planning and analysis or, you know, what, what's, what a gov- what's governance and controls or, you know, like what's the purpose of like a human resources function? Like that is innately interesting to me. Mm. Right. Whereas almost exclusively, right. Almost exclusively all the founders I've met in my journey, all the people I mentor and advise now, nearly none of them have that. Yeah, so if, if they're in a scenario and they're like, oh, well, I'm having all these problems with employees, it's like, okay, cool. So your, your, your philosophy around people management and business managers is potentially flawed or needs improving, needs iterating. That's not interesting to them, mm. right? So they're at a massive disadvantage, right? They have, to un, un, they have to get over this emotional barrier, which is, well, I have to engage in all this kind of, you know, in inverted commas, monotonous, boring crap that I don't find interesting. Yeah. For the sake of achieving what I want to achieve. Whereas for me, I was like, oh my God, I get to engage in all this interesting stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to get me where I want to go. So I had a, my uh, kind of default, you know, behavior and default, I guess, attributes from a personality perspective do to a degree set me up for success there. It's sort of like person who plays basketball, who's obsessed with basketball. You don't need to tell them to train. They'll want to train because it's what yeah. they want to do. But founders very often don't connect, you know, because again, coming back to how they get there, there are, passionate about subject matter field or I'm really really obsessed with like you know furniture manufacturing or like I'm really I really love like you know fitness supplementation or you know I'm a trainer or whatever it may be right that's what they want to focus on yeah right they get myopic almost right in their you know intensity and focus around oh I've got a you know like a a person who's a a tradie who's you know builds these beautiful custom tables right they don't need to get any better at building tables they Mm. need to get better at building a business right and that's almost yeah it's de-energizing for a lot of people right and so that's like it's this really big you know kind of uh, internal tension like i have to build these skills to get where i want to go but i don't find that energizing so how do i do that whereas for me like i i just like learning you know like i'm you know reading a book on like client uh, climate change at the moment but just because i'm interested you know i read a book on genetics or whatever it was purely out of curiosity not, I have no interest in being in the field. I just like the idea of kind of understanding stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And which is a can, can be like a, a slight advantage, you know, when we're looking at how do we build skills and competency for business. Mm. And it also means you can see connections where other people can't. 
Um, yeah. So to your point, uh, we actually did a session for Lerma Sue on genetics the other day because uh, I've been learning a lot about gen genetics and I've had my genetics tested and I've got access to all <laughs> of the genetic profiles, etc. And it was really interesting when we suddenly went, well, hang on, if this gene is linked to detoxification, but we also know that people who um, have a better gene in that area are better at um, have lower levels of depression and anxiety, maybe detoxification is also around detoxification of emotions. Ooh, how yeah. interesting. Yeah. But if you don't read wisely, widely about things, you can't make those connections from a business perspective either. So, well, yeah, and and, and also as well, like I think, because um, I, I I always say to not only the people that I work with, kind of as founders, but even um, you know their kind of employees and and, and teammates, or or even people that I've worked with, I've always had this view like the goal should be, if you're in marketing or product or ops or HR or whatever it is, right. The single biggest barrier, you know, that you face in your ability to uh, you know, continue to have career success, whether it's in this field or this business or another, is that your focus must be to become an excellent business person. Mm. Your focus cannot be to get better at marketing. Yeah. Your focus cannot be to get better at HR. You, yes, you have to build those skills if that's your functional you know, subject matter. But if you want to contribute on a bigger level and have, you know, kind of outpaced or outsized, you know, success in your career, you have to be a great business person. And in order to do that, to your point here, you have to be able to make connections between each area of the business and the value exchange and, you know, the kind of um, dependence, codependence, interdependence, you know, relationships that they have, right? Yeah. And so I've always kind of, to your point, like without reading a lot, you can't do that. If you get outside of business, you know, then you get this kind of amplified opportunity Well solving any problem if you become really good at solving problems it doesn't matter what subject matter field you're in you're really good at solving problems right mm -hmm. if you're really good at learning it doesn't matter what subject matter field you're in you're really good at learning you know so i've always um you know to, to your point around reading on genetics or whatever like one of the reasons that underlies a lot of my kind of very deliberate um you know almost to a degree random subject matter consumption is like oh my god like, oh, how quickly can i build first principles knowledge here mm. Yeah. yeah. So let me actually just pick up on that. You just said the first principles knowledge. And I think this is really important. And again, it's what I've seen you do very well. You mentioned HR, and I have to admit, I was a big fan of your uh, HR department because <laughs> um, I think Sarah's absolutely fantastic. Yes, she's very good. Um, um, but thinking about that, to your point, you don't have to be the expert because hopefully as you build your business, you bring in the experts, but you've got to know yes. enough that you can use their skills to the best of their advantage. Whereas if yeah. you don't know it, to your point, you're not making that connection, I guess, about what they could be doing. Yeah, well, and, and this comes down to, so again, you know, uh, you know, kind of just anecdotes here, right? The quality of all of your outcomes in life and in this case in business will come back to the quality of your decisions, right? You can't make quality decisions if you don't understand problem solving, decision making, you know, logic, reasoning, and in the subject matter for at least some baseline knowledge. So, you know, in, um, uh, you know, for example, like in, in human resources, like I have very limited knowledge, you know, about kind of like industrial relations, right? You know, I have very limited knowledge about, you know, uh, you know, very specific kind of employment relations or contract relations in different areas, right? But I do understand, well, like there's an employee life cycle, right? You know, there's, there's, there's organizational design and capability, you know, capability needs that the business has. You know, so I understand the first principles there. So I don't need to be able to have all of the bespoke specific knowledge at that level, but I have to be able to say, well, look, if I am going to bring in this particular team, I will measure their success based on their ability to do the following. Yeah. How they do the following and how they achieve the following is not necessarily my key interest area. And again, in some areas, you know, for example, I might leverage, I might index really high in, you know, product and marketing and analysis. That that's my I index higher over here, right? 
So maybe I have more detail and more of my time there. Maybe that's how I designed the organization for me, but I still have a baseline, you know, kind of to a degree, first principles understanding of, you know, the way HR or operations or, you know, whatever else might need to function so that the business can actually operate well. Yeah, that's kind of my my view too. Like, I don't need to be a CFO, but I do need to know how to write, read a PL and a balance sheet and know if we're yes. actually making any money or not. Um, yep. yeah, so, yeah, that's important. That's very yeah. important. <laughs> so, thinking about um, where you are now, obviously, as I say, as an entrepreneur with um, Sweat, you're in, uh, as you say, certain things came together really well. Um, COVID, in theory, was a, an opportunity, and you were very well positioned for that opportunity. Yeah you'd been sort of building there. Um, one of the things that um, somebody mentioned to me uh, during my first year of COVID, because COVID has been very good for us too, um, yeah. and somebody said to me, you've taken advantage of a really bad situation. And I'm like, wow, I never thought about it like that. I just thought this is an even bigger opportunity for me to reach more people. How did you sort of reconcile? Because it was a huge opportunity for, for Sweat. Yeah, so... So this is a very, very complex scenario, right? Uh, so if we say like, you know, it's a good opportunity or categorically, why is it a good opportunity? There's a variety of reasons, but you know, let's say it, it presented an opportunity for us to create outsized financial performance to effectively inflate the appearance of the business to make it more desirable from an acquisition perspective, right? That's theoretically right you know um and i don't want to kind of get too you know too far into the technical details right but you know so well why why does that opportunity present itself people will go home working out at home becomes more and more prevalent you know the prevalence of that then uh, you know kind of theoretically means there's a big demographic shift right and the shift meaning that we become more desirable to the end consumer right if that was the only variable that changed and no other variables changed, then the theory that I mentioned earlier, that would have stood true. And then simplistically, we would have, you know, one based on that criteria in isolation, right? But like most things that occur, you know, if this moves over here, lots of other things move over here. Stuff doesn't move in isolation, right? And so that happened, of course. Well, but then competitive, the nature of the competitive environment drastically shift. Why? Well, because in the leading two years, the barriers of technology drastically fell down, which meant that speed to market, cost to market, et cetera, et cetera, was basically reduced to zero, right? So the level, I think there was like nearly 100 or 200 new competitive entrants like per week or per fortnight at the beginning of, um, at the beginning of you know, COVID. So the demand has massively gone up, but the competitive nature has gone up. Well, as the competition goes up, you know, the um, economic efficiency of you know, marketing typically degrades acutely or chronically, right? So in isolation, that would have been not that great, but potentially still a winnable scenario. Simultaneously, employees then need to work from home. So there's kind of this like leadership tension and complexity. Simultaneously, we had just failed a capital raise several weeks beforehand and inflated the business. So we had to terminate you know, nearly a third of the company's employment, right? Simultaneously, Apple had dropped the IDFA, which is an advertising um, a data token effectively to use to attribute um, marketing performance. They dropped that, which reduced Facebook and Instagram's advertising efficacy by about 40%. Yeah. So on the one side, you've got positive reinforcement, more demand, et cetera, et cetera. But on the other side, you've got complex management, you know, uh, problems to resolve, cultural difficulties, decreased advertising performance for a variety of reasons. So economically, um, uh, sorry, and the last criteria there is that to understand the impact of that economically for a subscription business, you need time, right? Yeah. 
it's very hard to do acutely. So I was in a position where I had to make a decision. The whole organization is saying, spend more money on ads, ramp up ads, accelerate, go hard, go hard, go hard. And we did that for about two weeks. And I said, we can't do this anymore because I'm predicting it's going to all go to shit. Yeah. And it did. It all went to shit. Like the whole industry crapped itself, right? You know, um, companies were failing left, right, and center. Most technology companies were downsizing and you had so many employees. Um, you could require a customer really cheaply, but no one was hanging around because the, all the customers wanted to try what everyone was doing. You know, you could potentially even theorize that, you know, um, psychologically people were too stressed to commit to ongoing workouts if they weren't already, like if they didn't already have the habit built. You know, I mean, you know, right, building habits is very complicated in a low stress environment, you know, let alone a high stress mm-hmm. environment, right? So theoretically, yeah, you would have thought that would have been great. And it was for a short time. Like it was amazing for a very short time. We're talking like weeks, right? But then after that, for the following however many months, 12 or 18 months, which have inevitably led to our sale, um, it was a very hard, it was a very hard time. Yeah. But uh, what what I find interesting there is, um, and again, maybe this is something that you've been able to do over the, over your career is um, how quickly you can move. Because I know in my industry, when COVID hit many people like ourselves, we were all mainly face to face and it was bang overnight. gone. We transformed in less than four weeks back up and running. And it's been the best few years we've had. Um, But I saw a lot of people waiting. Oh, it'll be back to face to face soon. Let's just wait, you know, no, let's put a pause. It won't last long. And then those people have really struggled. I wonder your thoughts throughout your career, because, again, I've seen this. I've seen the way your head works. Mm. You seem to be able to move quickly and be able to take advantage of that. What's your what's your thoughts? Yeah. um, So, yeah, not not to kind of sound, uh, I guess, like too naive about it. Right. But like that sort of stuff for me had always appeared obvious. Right. And I don't know another way to, to phrase that that's perhaps a little, you know, comes with a bit more humility. But like, you know, the way that my mind works is that I see everything as a multivariate complex problem. Right. And so, and perhaps another way of pitching that alternatively is that most people want to believe the world is a simple place. Right. So most people want to believe and accept that the world is a simple place. Um, and the reality is that there is not many, if any, things in life that are simple. Right. Yeah. Another example, you know, people want to believe, well, eat healthier food and go to the gym, right? And then you'll have a good body and be super healthy. It's not really that straightforward, right? You know, a lot of people want to say, oh, you get really wealthy, save some money and put it in the stocks or property. It's really not that simple, right? If it was, everybody would have six-pack abs and be able to bench press 200 kilos and everyone would be a, mul- and everyone would be a multi-billionaire, right? You know, so the reality is that on the surface level, things are simple, but they're not. And I think, I think, again, coming back to my innate nature, I really like complexity. Like complexity really gets me going. You know, if I look at something and I can't immediately figure it out, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to kind of pay attention here and, you know, have a look. And so I think in scenarios like that and or when it comes to this, you know, business planning or strategy or whatever it may be in general, I think trying to, you know, trying to understand the problem first is normally a stage that is skipped by the majority of people, right? And so even, you know, coming back to some of the positive psych stuff that you do, right? Even this notion around um, uh, solutions-focused mindset is like a really, and I, I thoroughly support it. It's a really interesting thing. But even the titling, right? So like the terminology that we use there is like, it, it is implicit, you know, that we should go to the solution or we should always focus on the solution. Now, I know that's not what the theory is about. The methodology is much more nuanced and, and detailed than that. But, you know, from a surface level, it's easy for it to appear that way. But I, I 
always ask myself the question, like, what problem am I actually solving here? Mm. You're like, and, and how am I, how am I viewing and constructing the problem in my mind? Yeah, it's almost like the scientific method, right? You're like, what's my hypothesis and what are my, what are my, um, you know, testing criteria, right? Whereas a lot of people go to like, oh, well, I'm trying to improve conversion rate and this will improve it. So let's try that, you know, or they, they rush to the, the simplicity, right? But more often than not, I believe you have to get complex first before you can get simple, right? You can't get simple without first understanding the complexity, right? Yeah. And it's that test and retest that sometimes it's not just a simple get from here to here and this is the problem, this is how I fix it. But actually, yeah. as you indicated earlier, you solve one thing, but if you haven't thought about the other things that it's going to impact, then you yeah. could find yourself worse off. So what about now? Because obviously, in theory, from a financial perspective, you probably don't need to work anymore. But I'm guessing you do need to work from a personal yeah. <laughs> perspective because of your own mindset. So yeah. what are you doing now? And what do you see the future holding for you? Yeah, so uh, initially, so I, so I sold the company and I stepped down from my role as CEO earlier this year, um, February, March. And uh, yeah, part of that process, yeah, there was a it presented a good opportunity for um, yeah development for me in a variety of different manners. But yeah, one of these ways was like, yeah, how good am I at kind of doing nothing, <laughs> right? Yeah, like so, is there a skill set there that I've not yet built? Um, and so yeah, with the support of those around me, I decided to embark on a journey to see if I could do not a lot. Um, and so. Uh, you know, I've told a few people this story. You know, I kind of go sold the company, you know, exited the business, had a celebratory drinks on Friday. Uh, I wake up on Monday morning and I, I have my like kind of habitual place that I very often go to for breakfast. So I, I go there and I, I have the breakfast, right? And long story short, I do that and I get home to this you know, new place that I've moved into at around 9 a.m. And I sit there and like instantly I'm just like overwhelmed with this like, what the hell is life? You know, like what, like, what am I doing? You know, and instantly, and this was a, you know, kind of fascinating experience. I was like, well, I don't have much time left to live. You have only got like 60, 50 or 60 years left. And I was like, well, what do I want to do with that? Like, what do I want to do with my time? And quite an overwhelming, like an emotionally overwhelming experience. Um, but anyway, after, you know, kind of a, a decent period of kind of your reflection, and I tried to spend a couple of months not really doing anything, I you know, came to a whole series of conclusions, you know, one of which was that, you know, uh, and I knew just kind of intuitively, like I need a lot of stimulation for me to kind of remain energized. If I don't, I actually get really drained, you know, really quickly. Um, so I was like, okay, well, where am I going to get my stimulation from? What's, what's enjoyable, you know, or energizing to me? And, you know, that, that obviously falls largely into business. So I have some other personal endeavors, but, you know, largely falls into business. And I was like, okay, well, that means I have to be involved with business one way or another. What are the possible opportunities for involvement? You know, uh, kind of, you know, mentoring or advising people. Um, investing in businesses and or kind of building my own. There's, there's some others, but categorically, they're sort of, you know, the, the primary ones, right? Um, and so long story short, I was like, okay, well, then how do I kind of make decisions about that? I'm like, well, the investing front, you know, really you invest to, to get a return. So that's kind of sorts itself out. There's some other stuff for sure, ethical investing and all this sort of stuff. But really it's about, you know, generating a return on, on, on your assets, right? So outside of that, I was like, well, what am I going to do? I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to work with people I want to do that because I want to help them achieve whatever their version of success is. And I want them to be able to achieve it with much less, uh, with much more sanity than most people do. You know, because the entrepreneurial journey is frankly insane. There's not a logic, not a lot of logic to support. It's a good idea, right? Most people fail. It's incredibly stressful. It's emotionally hard. It's finan like it's financially stressful. It very much dominates your life for the most part. 
you know, and based on those things and the fact, like I said before, that most fail, it's like, well, why would you engage in that activity, right? <laughs> not, not, nonetheless, lots of people do and lots of awesome stuff comes out of that, you know, as a result of those people kind of leaning into the, the, the discomfort and uncertainty. So, you know, I really get a huge amount of energy from being able to help people kind of do that and, you know, watch them grow and, and support them and their goals. So that's one big part of what I do. Um, you know, the other part around kind of investing, that's a bit smaller. And then the third component is I'm like, well, I'll definitely build my own businesses. And I was like, well, but hold on, what business do I want to build? You know, and so that that's a whole complex, you know, kind of topic in itself. But it really came back to this thing, well, I'm not going to put my time into building something that doesn't return me financially because that doesn't make sense. And my goal should be to create something that's financially um, rewarding, not for the purpose of needing money, but more so for the purpose of it being a scorecard, right? Because the purpose of business is obviously to get a customer and customers pay, right? The second part must be, well, I don't want to build businesses that are kind of easy to understand and or stuff that I've been there and done because then what's the point in that? Because if I don't, if it's not really, I don't need the money, it has to be something that I'm going to build new skills and, and capabilities from. So, you know, that's kind of criteria two. And then, well, criteria three was, well, if I'm building skills and whatever, that's great. And even if I am, or I'm not making money, that's great. But like, what, what really am I giving back to the rest of society? Right. Yeah. You know, because like, for example, I don't want to go and build a company that sells generic chocolate bars, for example, even if I can make a squillion dollars and it was super complex. Cause I'm like, well, I don't really think that that aligns to what I want to do. I don't really want to provide chocolate to the world. Right. Not saying that's a bad idea, not saying it's a bad business, but for me, yeah, yeah. for my own values, that, that doesn't really align to what I want to do. Totally cool. If other people do it, no issue. Right. So that then creates a complex set of criteria. I have to add significant positive impact to the rest of society. It has to be complex to provide me stimulus you know, in the long term, five plus years, ideally. And I have to find a way to kind of make it financial, financially rewarding, even without any other criteria that already massively reduces the scope of opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. So I have no idea what that looks like. And I'm still kind of poking around with no rush, right? Yeah, but I, ideally, that's where it will end up. And I'll have a balance of the three because that'll provide me each of the things that, you know, I kind of get energized from in, in this particular environment. Yeah. And there's a few things that's interesting that you said there about, um, you know, can you learn to do nothing? Um, and I think to myself, um, my identity is probably very much in, in my business or what I do and those sorts mm. of things. And is that a bad thing? Um, but also to your point, and I can hear your strengths coming through there. I know for me, uh, and you just mentioned it, the thing that energizes you is when you're stimulated, et cetera. Yeah. And my number one and number two strengths are time optimizer and work ethic, which people always laugh mm. about because I basically work all the time. But sometimes yep. I have one of those days where I'm like, okay, I don't really have any agenda or nothing on and and if I'm not careful it's easy just to feel really flat and whatever you until I go right okay 15 minutes do this and yep. I get myself back into focus because I think um, when your strengths lie around certain things that's the energy that you then get when you embrace yeah. it and you throw yourself into it so uh, yep. yeah interesting and I love that you've got that um, element of yeah what can you contribute because I agree mm. having a business that's aligned to who you are is really yeah. And, and it's interesting too, like on that point, that's probably something that I didn't properly, like I didn't properly understand that about myself even earlier on, you know, when building sweat. So was I incredibly passionate about health and fitness? Not, not really. You know, like I, I train quite a bit. I do a lot of martial arts. I do about 14 workouts a week, give or take, right? But that's not because I love health and fitness. It's because I'm like, well, I have certain physical goals and attributes I want to have. And that's the method I have to use to get there, right? You know, so I'm not doing that because I'm in love with it. If anything, I much prefer jujitsu as a martial art to going to the gym and lifting weights, like much more prefer it, right? Um, 
but you know on on the business front you know like i was still kind of very subconsciously satisfied and fulfilled you know that we were adding something positive to society you know we were helping you know in in some cases you know millions of women around the world improve a variety of their you know life characteristics whether it was you know their health or you know their kind of you know confidence and mindset you know or their physical capabilities whatever it was and I didn't probably understand that until we started running events and, you know, I would go and see these events and you just see these girls kind of like crying as they're celebrating or being very emotional as they're celebrating, you know, the physical skills that they built and, um, and what they've achieved kind of through health and fitness, which we facilitated. Right. Um, which was, you know, the purpose of the company, right. You know, empower women with fitness. Yeah. Like that was the, that was the reason for existence. Right. And so passionate about health and fitness. No. Was it adding, you know, positive impact to society? Yes. And then, so now I'm on the other side of that. I'm like, oh, cool. Well, okay. That that's a criteria for me. Yeah. You know, I, I have to, I have to find a way to, you know, build organizations that have a contribution to society one way or another that I deem to be positive. Right. Yeah. And I think again, and credit to you, because obviously I've heard lots of conversations over the years of what's gone on in Swear. And I think one of the things that I always remember resonated with, yes, it was a profitable business and yes, you made money, but the mm-hmm. number of conversations about building the community, building the connections, making sure people felt mm-hmm. uh, that they were part of something, they were included, they were belonging so that they would um, achieve their goals and all those sorts of things was quite uh, mm-hmm. overwhelming, which was great. So, yeah. So just focusing as we sort of bring this to a close on you, what do you do to look after your own well-being, both physically, mentally? You've mentioned 14 workouts a week, but what else do you do <laughs> for your well-being? Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, I have um, I have like my kind of quarterly goal setting process, right? And, and I use that as a, at that point in time, I use that as a means to check in with kind of like how I'm feeling, you know, the trend of my, you know, kind of well-being, like what's the trend of my well-being? So and the reason why that's the trend is because on a daily basis, you know, I have my, you know, my, my kind of nutrition plan, which is very unsophisticated, but I have decent knowledge there. So it, it's quite fluid. Um, yeah. But, you know, so I have a particular kind of style of dieting that I follow. You know, I have a particular type of kind of training that I do. And that training is constructed for physical, physical skill set and competency. So like, am I physically strong and mobile and functional and this, that, and the other. Um, and then on the martial arts side, you know, like it's a self-defense you know, piece as well. Um, on you know kind of outside the the physical training and you know the nutrition stuff and there's kind of this whole big you know mental well-being piece which is really around so i do meditation daily um you know i journal regularly not daily um i i I want to um i don't really want to because otherwise i would but you know I, i do it regularly um you know and so that's kind of you know training my mental discipline and focus and control and also trying to like have dedicated times for reflection, you know, to allow me to reflect on who I am and what I'm doing and, and why, ultimately why. Um, then kind of outside the that, that sort of stuff, then there's this, because stimulation is a big thing for me. Like I have to be like really stimulated all the time. I, I set myself regular learning objectives, which is largely around reading and listening, you know, to content. I also have, you know, kind of learning objectives in jujitsu because it's kind of considered to be a very cerebral, highly complex sport. So I, I have a certain amount of stuff I want to do there. Um, and then obviously then I have like my work stuff, you know, my kind of general business stuff, um, that I'm doing to remain stimulated. So for me, like there's the the nutrition and, um, your exercise side is really like, I have this, am I in an acceptable region? Is this an acceptable region as opposed to trying to excel, you know, on the mental well-being? it's more so like, am I kind of being, you know, proactively aware of what's happening now? And am I retrospectively reflecting to kind of assess, you know, my own, like, what am I doing? Like, what am I actually doing? And, 
am I living and being kind of the person that I want to be? And then I'm like, okay, well, to be the person that I want to be, yes, I mentally need to be there and you know, physically and whatever I have to be there, but also like on the on the stimulation front, that's a really big, like I, I identify that as being a big problem for myself, a problem to solve. If I'm not remaining stimulated, it kind of cascades negatively throughout the rest of my being. Um, so then, yeah, how am I maintaining, yeah, how am I maintaining that? Like most of my life, um, most of my life considerations, you know, are, uh, you know, kind of career focused, you know, like, so I really love, you know, being a dad. I really love kind of the physical training. I, I'm really happy in my relationship, but for me, and, and this is still something I'm working through and reflecting in my own mind. So if I don't feel like I'm stimulated and progressing in that other area of my life, it makes it really hard to, to, to be what I want to be in the other area. So in other words, to be a really good dad and to be a really good partner, I find very challenging if I'm not stimulated over here. And that's something that I'm, I'm frankly quite honest, uh, sorry, embarrassed to be honest about, you know, like it's a, it's a really hard thing to be honest with yourself about like, Oh, if I'm not progressing over here, it's hard for me to focus here. Right. But I think uh, if a lot of other people would reflect, they'd probably also realize that it's quite similar for them. You know, their personal endeavor creates the foundation for them in some regard to contribute in the other areas of their life, not necessarily the other way around as much, at least in my experience anyway. Yeah, look, I, I'm totally with you there. And again, I know my strengths play out in this and, and I get very excited sometimes that when my husband used to put on a Sunday afternoon, two hours in my diary for me to work. Yeah. Because yeah. he knew that if I didn't kick, you know, sort of have that, you know, the first time I had a whole weekend free, which was soon after COVID and we moved up to Byron, mm. two whole days. And I'm like, what do people yeah, do? What, 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 what does it look like? <laughs> yeah, but this, but this is the thing, right? Like I, I love the conversation around, work-life balance like it's one of my favorite topics to talk about i'm like well but i don't really think that that, that i don't even think as a piece of terminology that exists i right? really thank you i it's, had that conversation it, it, this morning <laughs> yeah it's literally just it's you have life yes. and then you choose to balance it you know with the things that are important to you and so you know for me i know yes i i have a huge amount of my time allocated to my career but i'm like okay but you know three days a week i'll take my daughter out for breakfast for a breakfast day yeah. without failure non-negotiable right you know, a couple of nights per week, like we'll, you know, we'll sit inside and read books together or whatever, or just hang out and kind of do nothing. Because for me, that's what I believe is necessary to, you know, successfully deliver on that role in my life, right? Yeah. You know, for my partner, Rachel and I, like we have, you know, some designated time, you know, for certain activities that, you know, we like to engage in as well. Because if we don't, well, then how do you, how do you kind of live up to the commitment that you've, you know, you've otherwise made, right? And so the reality is, yeah, it's not work versus everything else. Yeah, I agree. Like, and, I, and I really have a disdain for that mentality, right? Because yeah. work can be a good thing. Yeah. Like work can be a really good thing. And, and by saying it's work versus life, you're kind of implicit in the fact that work is a negative attribute of your existence, right? When the reality is that it, it definitely does not need to be. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, I think that's a really good way to bring it together because um, I uh, we had this conversation on our Lerma Sue session this morning is um, I will never use the term work-life balance. I'm the same as you. It's life. And then it's how you choose to fill your life in line with your strengths, your values, your meaning, your attributes, etc. So um, thank you for bringing that together. Um, I've really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed watching your journey and see where you go. And I'm intrigued to see where it will take you in the 
the future. And I hope <laughs> people will follow, um, you know, follow your journey because I think you've got a lot of uh, insight into, uh, like you say, trying to be the best you can be in a range of different areas and really having that business mindset. Um, yeah. So if you had to give one piece of advice or one tool tip book you've read to our listeners, what would you give? <laughs> yeah, look, I think... Um... Like I said, so curiosity for me is by default, right? But I think for other people, like if you're not that way, finding a way to use your inherent kind of personality attributes to get curious about things is a really, really big superpower. Like it is a massive superpower. So that'll be different for lots of people. Um, and, you know, they shouldn't be seeking how to achieve that from me. They need to find someone who can help them. Yeah, someone, someone like yourself, you know, so who can kind of understand them and help them and guide them get there. But I think curiosity is a massive superpower, right? Because if you can create a genuine passion for interest in something, you're much more likely to do well at it, right? Because even coming back to the work-life balance thing, I and mean, then it doesn't become a negative attribute of your existence, right? It just becomes an enjoyable part. So um, that would definitely be one. I think, you know, on the other side, uh, you know, on the books front, one of the things for me that was really useful um, and this was you know from from uh, the coach that i work with was how can you find oh sorry my headphones died <laughs> we can still hear you oh can you okay um yeah how, how can you find and consume content on a particular topic that directly conflicts with one another mm. right you know so like for example like you know just to um you know look at it like from a philosophy and psychology perspective right like if you read you know, um, you know, Freudian, Jungian, uh, Adlerian psychology and philosophy, or you know, Ayn Rand or Aurelius or whatever you read, all these different people, you will realize that there is some, yes, there is some connectivity, but there's also like very blunt confrontation between perspectives and views, right? And a lot of people view that through this lens of, well, what is right and what is wrong, right? And coming back to something I said earlier, it's like, well, frankly, none of them are necessarily right or wrong in every context for every person in every situation at every point in time. The key is figuring out which, which ones are useful when, yeah. you know? And so one of the great books I read was a book called the courage to be disliked. Yeah. Which is a large focus on Adlerian psychology. Right. Um, and yeah, plugs into kind of people's self-worth and, and all this sort of stuff. But the reason why that was so valuable is because it directly conflicted with my own, you know, kind of historical learnings on this stuff, which was not a lot of the time, but it directly conflicted with that and massively opened my eyes to another way. Mm -hmm. um, not to mention, I think it's a very practical kind of, you know, philosophy for, for, for self-thought, right? So, yeah, if I was going to recommend a book, I, I very regularly recommend that one, The Courage to be Disliked. Brilliant. Great recommendation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Toby. Thank you, everybody who's listening. I really hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Um, if you would like to know more or you want to become a member of Learn With Sue, please check out learnwithsue.com.au and you'll find recordings, you'll find uh, opportunities to engage in live sessions in conversation with experts, as well as other research reviews, courses, etc. So thank you, Toby. Thank you for being a guest and uh, I hope so to see you again soon. Thanks a lot, Sue. Thank you.